This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Going back to our uh, baseball chat for a moment with Brock before we uh, bring John in, I, I, I got to ask you, so did it matter who Houston was playing? I mean, we knew they were going to be in the playoffs, into the World Series and so on. Did it matter or would you have, ne- would you have never, ever, ever rooted for them? Um, no, I don't think it mattered. I I can sort of understand that they've done the things that they need to do, the overhaul. I would like to see somebody else other than the big giants, you know, the Yankees, the Astros, the Dodgers win the World Series. Give it to somebody else who you may not expect to win the World Series. So that's why I kind of have a little bit more of a rooting interest with Philly. Okay. Was there a team you were rooting for other than the Jays uh, once they went out? Um, No. I, I Once the Jays got eliminated, I kind of – thought the story was, you know, Seattle. I thought if if they could get kind of pushed through, that would be cool. But I also had to get past my bitterness as a fan of like, well, you put out my Jays. Why should I root for you? But I, <laughs> I, I, like, I like their team as well. So yeah. I think for me, it's just I want to see somebody else. And this goes for all sports. I want to see somebody else other than your regular expected championship winners to win sports. I, I like that. Brock's TV almost got put out, folks. That was the issue. He almost said, that's enough of this. Off it goes. Folks, uh, let's check in with John Beeler. Uh, we have our weekly app update at this time. John, welcome back. How are things? Things are great. How are you? All right. Been a bit, sir. Nice, to, uh, nice of course, to have you on the show. And what a lineup of interesting topics today, I will say, sir. First of all, the one that has most of us just sort of spinning our heads, wondering, what the heck is this? A screenless smartphone is here. But what does that even mean? Yeah, this is a really interesting product from a company called Manu. If you go to mymanu.com, they're taking pre-orders for this new device that will be available early next year. And essentially what it is, it's a set of um, uh, earbuds that are wired to a little thing you put around your neck that has a couple little sort of pods on it. And essentially, it's a smartphone that has an eSIM, so you don't actually have a physical SIM card. And it's really meant for just doing voice-controlled things. So you can take and receive calls, dictate messages. You can set up a streaming service, that kind of thing. So you can have your your music playing uh, or probably even local audio files as well. I couldn't find a lot of information about it because it's still very early in, in this thing. But it's also incredibly cheap. It's only about $207 Canadian. And it is also waterproof. There's no screen to break. Uh, I bet the battery life lasts forever because oh, you're not powering the screen. Mm-mm. And I just think it's a really interesting sort of take. The way they've marketed it is for people that are on the go, not necessarily for uh, vision impaired folks, but it seems like a really good fit for that audience. It almost seems like just that hands-free ability to use. It, it's like a cross between a smart speaker um, and communication device or the communication device part of, of what we classes our existing phones, whether you're telling it to make a call or just telling it to play so-and-so from TuneIn or something like that. Of course, Kelly and company on AMI-audio. Um, if you did something like that and having that ability to just do that or simply saying, hey, what's the weather? 
so whatever yeah. you know the the keyword um and have it not be tripped while you're out moving around all the time and stuff like that that's what sounds like something a lot of people I mean, I don't think people want to have a phone, have this device necessarily, but I, I bet you lots of people will do that and just basically uh, until you can tie it into your phone, of course. Yeah. The other thing that they're sort of um, hyping with this particular product is that this could be a really good travel companion when you're traveling to, say, another country. Right. Because it's got the eSIM, it's very easy to get a localized SIM card with service. And it actually has a built-in app called MyJuno that can do um, speech-to-speech and speech-to-text functionality in over 30 different languages. Nice. That's what I was thinking, too. What a way to be able to, you know, uh, deal with people if you speak two different, you know, you speak a language, they speak, and get some interpretations done. Did, Did it say anything about the other apps that are going to be native to it? No, unfortunately, it doesn't. And it doesn't even clearly state anywhere that I can find what's powering this. I'm assuming it's an Android device of some kind because that's typical for this type of thing. Um, but it is, it's a really intriguing product. I'm going to see if I can get one in for review and check it out. Nice. That's really nice. Excited to hear more about this. Your next topic is if you've lost something, you can search through 91.7 million files from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Yeah, do you remember all those uh, floppy disks and CD-ROMs that came with magazines back in the day? Or maybe it came with a printer that you got and you're trying to set that up You know, years later, trying to track down all those files? Well, somebody uh, has basically organized all all of this stuff and it's basically uh, user contributed content so every floppy and cd-rom that they could find and actually since this article was published that i'm basing our our segment on uh, it's actually grown to about 93 million files and they've created a really interesting search engine that's super low tech specifically for the fact that there's a lot of people nowadays that are taking some of this older technology they're trying to recycle it or just relive some nostalgia and some of these things are actually able to go online, like an old Commodore 64 or an Atari computer, those kinds of things. Like that's the vintage I'm talking about here. And this website will actually work on those computers. So you can actually search for files, download them right in your browser on those devices, and then access those files. And even within your browser, say there's some old music file or a clip art or something like that, the, this particular website can even show that up. And it'll, it'll work on literally every kind of computer you can imagine. And so this is all stuff that's, you know, been given from finding, like, discs, old discs like that? Like, it's all person-centered? Yeah, it, it's, um, it's, an off, it's an unofficial offshoot of the um, uh, Internet Archive. And it's actually the archivist that sort of is um, behind the Internet Archive is the one sort of championing this as a side project. And so this is literally every kind of thing you can imagine that would have been a pack-in or a bundle with most things. So, um, but they found a really good way to organize it all and you can actually find things. Unlike just Googling for something and hoping you're going to find someone that has a blog post about it from 10 years ago, um, they've actually built a website that sort of really understands the reasons why you're trying to do this and helps you find it very quickly. That's quite the side job to be, you know, uh building this and all these files like i you know i i can't think of something off the top of my head where i'd be like if i could find this from you know back when i was younger i would is there something for you like if you could think back it's like oh i wish i could find this 
for you, what would well, that some be? Some of the things that wasn't... I was looking for that are really interesting to find, like I used to run a BBS back in the day and I'm really aging myself here. Um, but there actually have a lot of the BBS files for these older computers, things like really obscure fonts from old computer systems and uh, even shareware from magazines and things like that that would have come out 20 years ago. Uh, you can find all that stuff here. Wow, that's so cool. It would be kind of cool just to sift through the website and say, what can I find here that was, you know, be a little bit nostalgic and, and sift through it. It'd be, it'd be really cool given so many, you know, different decades that you can search through. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm sitting there as you talk about aging yourself. We were talking the other day about uh, getting on the Apple uh, 2E's, what, what, my first computer. And I remember being taught on CompuServe, uh, the first thing that kind of remotely allowed us to look at uh, news stuff. So that that's amazing. Um, want to talk about our friends over at Meta for a few moments here. They have developed a new way for people to connect through language using AI. Yeah, this this sort of furthers the conversation we were having earlier about <clears throat> translation services. And one of the challenges that um, translation services have, or apps, if you will, is they're typically only good for text-based languages. Right. Um, but there's actually a language that's kind of famous that's primarily used in Taiwan. Uh, it's a Chinese language called Hokkien, and it's an oral language. It's not written. So... Meta decided to figure out a way to actually translate that in a speech-to-speech -speech translation module that doesn't actually have any text as reference data. Mm. So this is considered to be a fairly big step in the sort of artificial intelligence realm of being able to translate some of these languages that, you know, would be lost to the ages if it wasn't for someone that's still speaking it, especially if it's not something that's written down. Wow. Well, I, and we've, We've heard about, of course, if people aren't really talking, if there's a, a small number of people, like you say, if it's not written down and you're decreasing numbers of people chatting, especially indigenous languages, this would be very interesting to see how something like this could help preserve. Absolutely, because it essentially creates a data set for something that never had a data set before yeah. by just having people using it. Um, unfortunately, right now, it's only limited to this language to English, but they're hoping that the more times people use it, the more data they can get and actually help translate that to other languages so that you don't actually have to go from this language to English to something else. It's a phenomenal way to think about the fact that so much, th and again, we get this a lot with um, slang terminology, especially stuff, uh, and as a fan of old-time radio, I've mentioned this before on the show, and we, we have so many references to things that come out of years and years ago, even the last century or the century before, and we have no idea. All of us think, oh, uh, something new. <laughs> no, it's something that's been said over and over, generation after generation, but we sort of change somewhat of the context to it to have the AI even work with stuff like that where you you know if you you were you were thinking of someone saying that in the in the 40s that it means yeah. this versus when it was said or that terminology used in the 90s uh, or just the reference back yeah the context is hugely important especially when you look at things like regional dialects even even the english language is so weird that way and for these translation services to actually understand the nuances between a regional difference of someone speaking English, say, in Newfoundland versus someone yes. speaking English in B.C. Yeah, and, and it is really fascinating because we talk about Quebec French versus Parisian French and, and just the way things 
are, are different. But when you talk about something that's never written down, and, and I go back to the Indigenous languages that I know some people are trying to keep alive, um, and you know there isn't any literature, there's no books, there's nothing except those who remember or households, which may have been far and few between, where mom and dad said, well, we're going to still speak this in this household no matter what, because we don't want it to die, the language. Yeah, I hope Meta can reach out to those folks and and get them into the system. That would be amazing. Like, And I'm sure so many would love to do it. I've heard of courses now going on where they're teaching it, and I think that would be that would be pretty amazing. Some really great stuff. Uh, would you uh, would you get after those uh, headsets, John? Is that something like you say you want to get one to test out? But do you foresee this going far? I hope so. I think I think a lot of people uh, really want something less obtrusive. Even if you're sighted, it's it, it's something that a lot of people have anxiety and um, stress over looking at their notifications or other mm. things like that. So having a screenless device, I think, could benefit a lot of people. Yeah, and, you know, so many people now are comfortable, as we say, listening to podcasts, listening to audiobooks. It's not like it was 20 years ago where people could ask me, hey, what are you doing? Or what did you do last night? Oh, I listened to a book. You know, it did what? You know, now <laughs> everybody does it. Yeah. Awesome, sir. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. John Beeler, of course, with our app update. We do this on Fridays to kind of give you some ideas of things going on out there, some of the neat toys that may be coming down for us or just having some times warnings. Today was great. No warnings. Everybody's behaving themselves for at least this 24-hour period. He'll be back next Friday for our weekly uh, app update here on Kelly and Company. Brock and I will step aside for a couple of moments on the program, and when we return, this is something Brock totally can relate to. As a matter of fact talked about on the neutral zone very recently the paratuff cup is the flagship fundraiser uh, for the paralympic foundation of canada we learn more about this unique event where you can try out parasport and meet para athletes after this Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.